Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. How many of you have ever had some doubt creep into your mind? Don't let me bother you by putting this watch here because you know I won't look at it. <laughs> some doubts concerning your faith that, you know, just have gotten into your mind and presented some problems for you. If I were to ask you to raise your hands, how many of you have had doubts concerning some aspect of your faith or what God could do or has done or is doing? probably you wouldn't, wouldn't want to raise your hands because we Baptists are the best pretending people on the earth. You know, we act like we've got it all together and most of us don't have anything together. But we put on this big front and we pretend and we don't like to say that we have any doubts. Well, what I'm going to do in, in the beginning of this series is, is let you bring your doubts out of the closet, okay? I'm doing this I Know series because I know that if we don't know what we believe and why we believe it, we become vulnerable to continual bouts with doubt. And we can almost be paralyzed by doubt. And I think many people are sitting on the sidelines in, in the church. Some of you who sit here every Sunday and you're not working, you're not serving, is because you have been bound by doubts. And Satan does a number on you and makes you think you're not worthy or you wouldn't be effective or because you've got these doubts that you cannot serve. So I think it's so important that all of us know that doubt is something that comes into all of our lives and there are no exceptions for that. And if we don't know what God's character is, then we come up with a set of unrealistic expectations. You see, one of the reasons we, we, we doubt is because we don't know God well enough to know any better. <laughs> and when, when we, you see, God, God does what he promises to do. He just doesn't do what we promise that he does. <laughs> you see, I mean, God, God always comes through. But when we have unrealistic expectations of God, then God doesn't come through and we want to blame and we want to get down and doubt when if we had just known God's character and if we had known the word enough, we would know that God never promised that he would do that. See, we expect a lot of things from God he has never promised to us. But it's things that we think we want or need at the time. Here's some I knows we're going to talk about in these next few weeks. I know that the Bible is God's true word, and it's relevant for today. It's as up to date as tomorrow's newspaper. I know that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Our religions are not the same. Allah and God are not the same. I know what happens when a Christian sins. I know what happens. I, I know that, that a Christian cannot lose his salvation. Most Baptists don't get it. But it's not, it's not a Baptist thing. It's a biblical thing. And we'll go through that together. I know that Christians should be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a genius of the Christian life. Every member of this church ought to be Spirit-filled. 
Every one of us, we have God within us. I know that heaven and hell are real places and that everybody's going to end up in one of those two places. I know that everybody has a spiritual gift. I know that every Christian has responsibilities. God saves no one to sit. Hello? He's got something he wants you to do. So we're going to talk about these things in the next few weeks, and I'm excited about going through this with you. But I want to begin with doubts because in a, in a strange way, and this just hit me after I'd been studying for two or three weeks, I didn't intend to preach on doubt, and I certainly didn't intend to begin this series on doubt. And, and, and all of a sudden, God seemed to, be, to say to me, it's because of your doubts that you and I have had our greatest times together. It's out of your doubts you got to know me better and understand me better. And so we call today, I doubt so I know. I doubt so I know. It's because when we begin to ask those questions and we search and we come to the right places, then we're going to find out some things about God that would call, will cause us to experience a greater level of joy and victory and, I think, service in our lives. Because here's the question that's entered everybody's mind. It enters the mind and then it, it gets into the heart. If I really believe, then why do I have these doubts? And see, that's what Satan uses to attack you with. If you're really a believer, then why do you have these doubts? Listen to me and listen carefully. The fact that you doubt has nothing to do with the fact that you are a Christian. Christians doubt. How is that possible? Well, b because you have an enemy who hates you, who wants to defeat you, who hates God, who hates the church. And who, who is the father of lies, who is the father of deception. So as long as Satan is alive and well, he's going to make sure that you have doubts. You have something else. You have an old nature and you have a new nature. And you can always have it. That's that struggle inside. It's like two dogs fighting inside. You say, well, which one wins? The one you feed the most. You've got that old nature inside. And if you feed that old nature or you let the world feed stuff into that old nature, then the result is going to be that you, you begin to doubt and you begin to struggle. But doubts do not destroy the meaning of your faith. And every Christian, no matter how respected, how great a Christian you think that Christian is, that person has struggled with doubts. You remember the, the paradoxical plea of the man over the New Testament who asked Jesus to cast the demons out of his, uh, out of his child. And, and remember what he said? He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, and I believe in you, and I believe that you can do this miracle. But I still struggle in some areas of unbelief and in my life. So I believe, but help me in the unbelief that's still there. And I think that would be your heart's cry. Lord, I, I want to somehow reach the point that I just believe you, period, and that settles it. And we may never get there. We can get a lot closer. 
as we get closer to God and as we get closer to God's Word. Been a big news story recently about Mother Teresa's doubt with uh, bout with doubt, you know, they, uh, and I mean just story after story, and you go on the internet and find all kind of stuff. And the, because they began to read her letters, and they found that Mother Teresa had doubts and some powerful doubts. Well, let me say a couple of things about that since you brought it up. One is, if I had spent my life in India, in poverty working with AIDS patients and in that environment and that hard, hard work and hard, hard ministry when, when progress is so slow, yes, I think I would have had plenty doubts. But let me tell you what I believe. The fact that those doubts were there, that was honesty coming out to God and that does not diminish her faith or negate the ministry that she was trying to do. It just needs us to know, if Mother Teresa has doubts, we will have doubts. Billy Graham has doubts. Charles, in fact, I was telling somebody this morning, I read something about Charles Spurgeon, the greatest preacher to ever live. A seminary student was talking to him about these doubts, these things that were bothering him. And, and he had questions and doubts. And how could this be? And Spurgeon said to him, you're so young. When you get as old as I am, you'll have some big doubts and realize that's just little stuff. So we all have doubts. And that's uh, Lee Strobel. And if you hadn't read Lee Strobel's books, you ought to. Uh, he was a, a, a journey, journalist who got saved. He was an atheist. An atheist journalist who got gloriously saved and has become an incredible in the era of apologetics. And he said, I've been an atheist. And when I was an atheist, I had doubts about being an atheist. And then C.S. Lewis, who's a favorite writer, C.S. Lewis says, now that I'm a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. See, so the, the atheist doubt, the believer doubts, because why? We have that tendency within us. We have that old nature. We have Satan who is the liar and who is the deceiver. We don't have all the information, and so we doubt. So the question, will you catch the doubt virus? Yes, you will. What we hope to do is by helping you understand more about doubt, that you won't let that virus turn into a disease that literally ravages your faith and keeps you paralyzed so that you're not able to serve and you miss the joy of what it is to serve and walk with God on a daily basis. Because God says you can survive your doubt, you can survive it, and you can emerge stronger because of it. Strobel says, a dose of doubt, listen to this, a dose of doubt may strengthen your faith. So the Bible and leaders like Strobel, an apologist, is giving words of encouragement to you and me and say that God can use our doubts to strengthen our faith. 
Christians who doubt are divided into three groups. Number one, those who have doubted. Number two, those who have not doubted yet. Number three, those who are brain dead. So you fit in one of those, one of those categories. Now let me give you some factors that set us up for doubt. Number one is emotions. We are emotional people. And we need to understand the role of emotions in our faith. Faith is not a good feeling. Faith is a good decision to follow Jesus Christ. You don't base your faith on your feelings. And your faith is solid whether you feel like it is or whether you don't feel like it is. Feelings are like a fast yo-yo, up and down, fickle. Faith, listen to me. Faith is anchored in the character of God who never, ever changes. And that faith anchored in God is never at the mercy of feelings, never at the mercy of performance. It's based on God's character. That little acrostic we use, F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all, I trust him. No matter what it looks like, no matter what I hear, what I see, I'm going to trust the character of God. Emotions can be a problem for you to set you up for doubt. The second thing is family issues. Remember when I preached the, a message entitled, Who is Your Daddy? And I could take three hours and talk about this, and you'll be glad I'm not going to do that. But people tend to transfer their issues with their biological father to their heavenly father. And if your dad let you down, then you tend to think God's going to let you down. It's just a matter of when. If your dad abandoned you, then you know that God somehow is going to abandon you. I want to say this as sweet as I can. There may not be a lot of similarities between God and your dad, okay? All of us had imperfect fathers. All of us have, have, have we've had fathers with issues. But I tell these people that have had a terrible experience in their life with their father relationship that because now they are in Christ, they have a perfect heavenly father who wants to erase that past and fill their lives with joy and meaning and purpose now. So, so don't let that, don't take that image of your earthly father and try to make that your heavenly father because God, there is no one that can be compared to God. And God loves you unconditionally, and there's nothing you've ever done to cause God to love you any less. And he will never abandon you. You're never alone. People say to me, I feel so alone. Well, stop feeling that way because you're not alone. He will never leave you, never forsake you, never abandon you. The third factor is Satan. We've talked about that. Satan will cause you to doubt. He's the great deceiver. He whispers in your ears and he plants question marks. Where did he begin? Adam and Eve. Hath God really said? God didn't really say that. You know better than that. God's just afraid that you might be God and be as good as, be as powerful as he is. Just pouring those thoughts and question marks, whispering that garbage into the ears, and he's been doing that all the way down through life. And then temperament. The, 
the choleric with his pride and his desire to control, the melancholy, he wants everything to line up. And th- those two temperaments are more susceptible to, to having bouts with, with doubting, uh, more so than the, the sanguine or the phlegmatic. And then tragedy. Oh, we could talk hours about this. If, if you've never had much doubt in your life, I would venture to say you've not had much tragedy in your life. Because I promise you, when you walk through tragedy, doubt is, Satan is going to make sure that he gives you plenty to doubt. And those questions, why? Why did this happen? Where was God when this happened? Why did God allow this? Why me? All of those things that you battle with. And, but again, here is the good news. God says, I can take those very doubts and use them to strengthen your faith and bless your life. And what's happened is this tragedy is getting you closer to me than you've ever been. And you're going to know me better and you're going to trust me more. Tragedy. Baggage in your life, that sets us up for doubt because we all have bad baggage. Some have more than others. Present hang-ups and addictions. I wish I had time to talk all about all these, but, but I don't. But just know there's some factors that, that can help set you up to, to have a lot of doubt in your life. But I want to make three statements about doubt. Number one, don't be surprised by your doubts. Just know they're coming. Doubts are common among Christians, and it's always been that way, and it'll be that way till we get to heaven. You will never get beyond that. Now, when we get to heaven, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen when, you know, how it's going to be when we get there. I got, when I get, you know what I want to do when I get there? For the first year, I would, I, I'm going to hold my hand up because I got that many questions. I got a lot of questions. And, and we got plenty of time to answer them. So I'm going to try to get all those questions answered. Uh, but until then, we're going to always have questions. And when there are no answers, there's Jesus. And we just hang on to him and trust him until one day we'll know. And you know what I believe with all my heart? I believe when I hold my hand up and he begins to answer those questions, I'm going to say, how do you like that? That was pretty cool. He knew what he was doing all the time. I see the plan. It was the best plan. Oh, it, it did hurt. It was tragic. But it was the best plan when you see it from heaven's perspective. Well, don't be surprised. These, these marriage couples, uh, when I do, I, I do pre-marriage counseling, and I say to them, I say to the, to the guy, you need to find a friend because guys are not good at this at all. Uh, they, you know, they don't have conversations except about the weather and sports and the stock market. And, you know, it's, it's not about feelings and it's not about a lot of the things that they need to talk about from time to time. So... I say to these guys, you need to find a friend that you can confide in. Because after you've been married at least six months, you're going to need to say that to a friend in confidence. I think I married the wrong woman. 
And she is weird. Let, let me tell you how weird she is. Let me tell you what she does. And he starts naming these things. And then your friend is going to look at you and say, I got one just like her. <laughs> They're all that way. And you're going to say, thank God. I thought I was going crazy myself. I thought I'd married the wrong person. I thought I was going crazy. And then I say to the, to the girl, you need to find your girlfriend. One you can confide in. And after six months or so in marriage, you're going to need to say to her, I think I married the wrong guy. And let me tell you what he does. Let me tell you all the weird things he does and says and won't do. And she will say to you, I got one. I got one just like that. They're all that way. Oh, I'm so glad because now I'm feel, I, I, I thought I had the only one. I, I thought I'd married the wrong one. I thought I was crazy. No, that's normal. And the struggle in marriage is normal. You put two imperfect people together from opposites. You know, opposites attract and later they attack. And you put two opposites together, different backgrounds, different families. You're going to have struggle. There's no way around it. And it's so good to know that you're not alone. See, so that makes you feel good. I mean, you just look around this room. You're not the only couple here struggling. All of us are. Doesn't it make you feel better? I mean, you're sitting here thinking, you know, I've got to go home with this woman. Well, the rest of us do also. <laughs> so that's what I want you to know about doubt. I want you to understand that it's normal and that the struggle is common. I want to somehow kind of neutralize your anxiety and let you know that you can have a strong faith. You can be a wonderful Christian and still have some doubts. You can be heaven bound and still have some uncertainty over some issues. You don't have it all worked out. And some things you'll never work out. That you'll just never understand. I mean, how do you understand the Trinity? You're not going to ever understand that. Predestination and the free will of man. See, I don't spend a lot of time on this kind of stuff because you can't work it out. A lot of things you just can't understand. It's like the little boy who prayed for a puppy. And he said, why, when I pray for a puppy, God gave me a a little brother. You can't understand that. You just go with it. I want to talk to you about the difference in doubt and what this word doubt means, doubt and belief. What the word doubt means too. To believe is one mind about accepting something as true. To disbelieve is one mind about rejecting something that's true. You just reject it, and you've got one mind about rejecting it, or one mind about accepting it. To doubt is to waver between the two. It's to stagger between the two. When you doubt, you believe, and then you disbelieve. You just go one way, and then you go the other way, and you go back and forth. 
Doubt, wrote Karl Barth, is, says, does not mean denial or negation. It only means swaying and staggering between yes and no. See, doubt means that you're, you're wavering between certainty and uncertainty. In your mind, you had it worked out and you, you were certain about it. But then all of a sudden, something happened that you couldn't understand and you couldn't figure it out. And those thoughts of uncertainty popped into your mind. And so doubt came. But I want you to understand it's not disbelief. You can be a believer and doubt. All believers deal with doubt. Let me give an example. John the Baptist. Now, now you talk about somebody that should have been immune to, to doubt when you think of John the Baptist, he was the forerunner of Christ. He had the, the awesome privilege to announce Jesus to the world. And to say the very one we've been looking for is coming. And he was pointing, he got the privilege to point to Jesus and say, there he is. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Imagine getting that opportunity. I mean, the whole world has been waiting for years for the Messiah, for Jesus, the Savior to come. John gets to be the announcer. He gets to see him and he gets to point to him and say, there he is. The Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. He baptized Jesus. It just gets better for John. And when he baptized Jesus, what happened? The heavens opened. And God spoke audibly, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now let me see the watch your eyes a minute. How many of you have said, you know, I'd be all right if God would just do skywriting for me one time? I, I've said that. In fact, there was a big church trying to get me to come as their pastor one time. And, and somebody said, what would it take to get you to go there? And I said, sky riding and a big whipping. How many think if, if God would, if you could hear one audible statement of God. If God would just speak audibly one time. Now listen, let me ask you, if God gave you skywriting and he spoke audibly, would that, would that settle all of it for you? Could you? Would you be okay then? Would you never doubt again? Would you know from that point on because of what God did? Well, what happened to, to John? John saw skywriting and he heard God speak audibly. Now fast forward. John is languishing in prison. And the devil is whispering things in his ear. And John sends two men. Luke tells us this. John sends two men to go to Jesus and say, uh, tell me, are you the one or should we still be looking for him? Does that sound like a Baptist or what? Here is the guy who saw skywriting. The heavens opened. Here is the guy who heard God speak audibly. This is my son. My son whom I'm well pleased. 
And now a few years have gone by, and it's hard times for John. He's facing perhaps martyrdom. And he says, I want you to go find Jesus and ask him, is he, is he the one? Or should we look for another? How did Jesus handle John's doubt? That, that would be interesting. How did he handle it? Did he unload a truck load of guilt on him? Did he condemn him? Did he shame him? Did he chastise him? Let me see if I can get that for you because I want you to know exactly what what it is. See, you still don't believe. <laughs> when the men reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we look for someone else? At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people. He replied to them, go and report to John the things you've seen and heard. The blind men received their sight, the lame walked, those with skin diseases are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them. So what does Jesus do? Jesus says, go back to John and give him all the evidence that I'm Christ. See, God wants you to know the evidence. We don't come to church and leave our brains at home. You don't have to. It's not blind faith. And these next few weeks will give you mountains of evidence. And so Jesus says, I want you to send back. And, and they now have let John know all of the things that have happened to confirm that Jesus is the Messiah. Now you say, well, you know, John doing this... Every time Jesus thought about John from that day on, would, would he think, I mean, he's just a doubter. That's, I mean, he really, when it, you know, when it came to it, he just couldn't make it. He just could, he couldn't ever get it together because I, 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 I let him see the heavens part. I let him hear my voice speak. And he still didn't get it. And he's still asking questions. Am I the one? He's really rendered himself useless. What did God, what did Jesus think about John after John did what he did? Verse 28. I tell you among those born of women, no one is greater than John. Wow. See, the devil keeps beating you up. and You've had some doubts and you feel like God doesn't love you as much or God doesn't want to use you because you've had some struggles and you've had some doubts. My friend, that's just not true to Scripture, and it's not true to the character of God. That's why God wants you to see him as he is. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know him intimately. And don't bother to hide your doubts from Jesus. He already knows them. And he loves you. And he wants to use those doubts to mature you. The second thing. Don't be silent about your doubts. Lee Strobel says, God's outrageous claim is that you can survive your bouts with doubt. And not only that, 
your faith could very well emerge stronger. So working through your doubts is one of the healthiest things that you can do. Wanting the evidence, wanting to get with God, wanting to work through your doubts, ask your questions. Very healthy. But let me tell you what's not healthy. The Baptist way. Baptists can almost strut sitting down, I'm telling you. And we don't want to admit that we've done anything wrong. See, everybody in this room this morning, we, you know, we, we look good, we smell good, we, we put on this air that, that we're doing it all, that we're here because we're just so wonderful people and, and uh, all of us tired. <laughs> Wouldn't it be something if we put in the bulletin one week what everybody gives? You talk about messing up a town. But you see, the interesting thing is we pretend. We pretend. We pretend we're doing well. We pretend we live a life of secrets. And really we are as sick as our spiritual secrets. Doubt, listen to me, doubts grow in darkness The, the light exposes them. Doubts hate the light. Doubts don't want the evidence. They live and grow in darkness. And it is by bringing the doubts out into the open, by bringing them out into the light, by bringing them to God, that they dissipate. Gary Habermas, who's a scholar, has done a lot of research uh, on this subject, and he says in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that believers express wide ranges of questioning, especially on such topics as pain and evil, God's personal dealing with people, and the issue of evidence for one's belief. Now, that's true in the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's all also true in today's world. It's the same today. That we struggle. But we're not to, we're not to be surprised that we have doubts, and we're not, to, we're not to push those doubts down and pretend they're not there, because that can make us sick. That can paralyze us. That can cause us to lose our joy. That can keep us just sitting and not serving. That can let the devil win out over us. But the third statement I want to make, I've said don't be surprised by your doubts. The second, don't be silent about your doubts. And the third, do be strengthened by your doubts. Jesus tells us in this world we will have tribulation, suffering, struggle. We know that. But I think also he's letting us know that we will have intellectual and spiritual tribulation, struggling. You see, we don't grow much unless we struggle. The main thing wrong with America today is America has too much money and too much education and too much, you know, of themselves. We don't need anything. And so America's going down. Same way the church. The church never does well in prosperity. It always does better in adversity. 
You know the churches that are closer to God, ones that if God doesn't come through next week, they can't pay their bills. So God wants to, to, to use this struggle to strengthen us. So he's not ever intimidated by our struggle. He's not ever surprised by our inner struggle. He's not ever bothered by our questions. Listen to me. There is no such thing as a bad question that comes from one of God's children to God. You can't ask him a bad question. It's when we stuff it in and when we're afraid to ask or we pretend that we don't need that help that we get into, into trouble. Because what God wants to do is he wants to take these doubts to produce positive effects in our lives, to strengthen our faith. This next week, uh, Lee's got me lined up to get my flu shot. Uh, I was going to get it last week, but uh, one of those selective forgetting things. And you know, I don't understand all about flu shots. We get one every year. But it's like it gives you a little, a tiny bit of the flu. Sometimes you don't even feel it. Sometimes you do. We had a couple of them that, that gave us what we felt like the flu for at least a, for a few hours. Uh, but what happens is my body will then build antibodies that, that will prevent the real thing. I could feel bad for a day, a few hours or something like that. But I emerge stronger than ever so that I can... I can withstand that, the onslaught of that disease and not, not get the really bad flu. Well, when you get a touch of the, the doubt virus, it forces you to seek answers. And if you seek those answers honestly, you emerge stronger and more confident in your faith. And then you can ward off, you can throw off those things that would come against you and ravage and ravage your faith. Mark Littleton says we can learn more through doubt than through naive trust. Because truth can be tested. Doubt is the fire through which it passes. But when it has been tried, it will come forth as gold. Don't be afraid to test your faith. You know, at the lowest times of our lives, most of us have had moments when it seemed God was absent. God, where are you? Where are you? But you know, I think that the feeling of God's absence can turn into a blessing because it will cause you to seek him. And when you seek him, you always find him. I don't know how many times I've heard this, but I've heard it more than I've heard any single thing from Christians over these 40-something years. They've said, Pastor, it was through that struggle that I grew the most. It was through those hard times that God taught me what I needed to know. It was in the battle that I felt God's strength as I've never felt it before. And that's the character of God. That even when we think that God is absent, 
It drives us to him. And when you get to God and when you, when you sit in his presence and you look into his face, you know that he is ever present. And whether you felt he was there or not, he was there. And you sense that as you honestly pour out your heart to it. It's like that poem, you know, when you, you wonder about that, those footprints on the beach and those hard times, just one set of footprints. And the question, God, why, why, why is it when it was such a hard time that I seemed to be alone, just one set of footprints? And, and the poem, of course, says, that was those times I carried you. I think that's what I'm saying to you this morning, that sometimes in that trouble, you look around and say, where's God? And you can't see him because he's the one carrying you. He's the one that's given you that inner strength and grace to make it whatever you have to go through. I also think that doubt can save us from the consequences of our own gullibility. Do you understand that... uh, Christians tend to be naive and gullible. And, uh, I mean, we, we tend to believe everybody. We tend to want to help everybody. Because we just, you know, we, we just have that tendency. But, but I, w- I want you to know that, that there needs to be a little bit of doubt so that we make good decisions in our lives. Because I'm going to tell you, Every preacher with a Bible in his hand is not a man of God. And you can't trust him. Every church with a steeple is not a church of God that's being built on the Word of God. And you can't trust it. Every organization that claims to be doing a great work for God may not be using its funds appropriately at all. And it's doubt and it's uh, red flags that pop up that we ought to be sensitive to, to know that maybe we ought to take a closer look or a closer look at this or a closer look at that. And let me, since you brought it up, let me deal with this. Don't put your faith in any man because every man will disappoint you. Don't put your faith in a preacher. Don't put your faith in a church. See, if, if your faith is all about me or if it's all about this church, you're in trouble. Because you're, you're going to struggle at some point. Because there are no perfect churches. There are no perfect preachers. No perfect Bible teachers, connection class leaders. So our our faith is not in a church. It's not in a man. It's not in a feeling. Oh, don't put your faith in a feeling. It's not even in a book. You see, some people, the, the whole deal of their faith is that they know a bunch of verses out of this book. 
and, and many times it's just the favorite verses that you may want to use to promote your own, your own philosophy. But ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. We, this is God's book. And we'll take a whole message to talk about it. But we do not worship this book. We worship the God of the book. And see, you, you, can, just, you can just read this book. It's not enough to know the Word of God. You have to know the God of the Word. And if you're going to win out over doubt, if you're going to have victory in your life, then you've got to understand that it's in God's presence and in God's face getting to know Him, even in the struggle getting to know His character. And that that's what you're committed to. That's what your faith is in. Now, a rebuilt faith is superior to an invented faith that's never stood the strain of struggle. Now, all that I've said now, I want you to listen very, very carefully. Don't miss, don't, don't miss this part that, that I'm about to say to you. I am not encouraging doubt. Shake your head this way so I know you're awake still. You understand that. I am not encouraging you to doubt. That's not the purpose at all. Because you don't have to try to doubt. I promise you enough will slip up on you. It'll slip up on your blind side. It'll catch you. It'll overwhelm you from time to time. The devil's going to make sure of that. You'll have enough to keep you busy. But you see what I want? I want us to be confident and certain in our faith. And it is out of confidence, out of confidence that we give our greatest service to God. It is out of confidence that we do our greatest work for God. It is out of confidence that we're the greatest witness, witnesses for God. So what I want you to do is I want you to build your faith so that you went out over doubt. And the doubt doesn't paralyze you. Doubt doesn't even slow you down. I want you to move away from doubt and towards certainty. And I want you to determine to win every battle with doubt. Remember James, James chapter 1, the word about don't, don't be like the unstable man, unstable in all of his ways, two minds, always wavering in doubt. Don't be that way. Now, my time is gone, and here was the, the best part, the five, six practical steps. So I haven't got time to talk about it, but just let me give them to you. In dealing with doubt, number one, identify the source of your doubts. Number two, choose to work through your doubts. It doesn't just, God doesn't zap them away from you. Number three, ask God and others for help. I'm telling you, you, know, I, you need community. You need the church. If you're going to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish, and if you're going to win your battles over doubt, if you're going to make it through your struggles, you need the church. You need help from God and from others. And number four, recognize that some questions and doubts are perpetual. 
There are a lot of things that you, that you don't even need to spend your time worrying about because you're not going to ever know the answer. You just accept that some things we won't know till we get the other, to the other side. Number five, ratchet up your quiet time. Doubt should drive you straight to your quiet time with God and get a look at his character. And then number six, look into the face of Jesus. Look into the face of Jesus. I'm telling you that no matter how many crazy questions have entered your mind, how many doubts have tried to beat you down, if you can ever get a good look at Jesus on the cross and see in his face the love and the grace that's for you, And just focus on him. Doubts began to disappear. Listen to me. Every time I have struggled in my life with doubt, and I have many times, as I look back, without exception, every time I was in that struggle with doubt, I was always focusing on some person or some circumstance. Are some happening and I had stopped focusing on God. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 